0: podcast this week you have myself nick and brennan uh we've got a pretty good slate this week so i think we should just go for the big one first um so first off before we dive in how are you guys doing
1: i'm doing amazing thanks for asking colin couldn't be better
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh pretty good i'm doing pretty good um i didn't watch mortal kombat so from what i hear from nick that was uh, good on me but that, that's kind of how i'm doing it was good on you <laughs> I'm sure you spent your time
0: in a lot better ways than watching Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, let's let's start with the big one. Uh, So Rotten Tomatoes this week kind of upset the world. Um, But was it really an upset? Because I think everybody kind of knew the truth all along uh, that Paddington 2 is the best movie ever made, uh, according to the good old folks at Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, But basically what happened was uh, Citizen Kane had been the movie with the most reviews to stay at 100%. Um, So basically 100% of reviews that Rotten Tomatoes collected were positive until somebody uncovered an 80-year-old review that was negative and so it dropped the 100% from Citizen Kane Uh, so now Paddington 2 is the movie with the most reviews to be at 100% positive uh, fresh rated on Rotten Tomatoes. So obviously the internet kind of went nuts and was like, you know what, Paddington 2, the best movie ever. There were some pretty good memes couple of them made by yours truly um, but yeah it kind of kind of blew up the internet um, I I don't think the internet's been in this state since that Kim Kardashian champagne picture from like four or five years ago <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah people on uh, film Twitter certainly love their paddington too and uh, you guys have seen Paddington too right it's delightful it's uh, really I'm, I'm actually really wonderful.
0: I've I've never seen a Paddington it's a it's a big blind spot.
1: Oh, you're missing out. The Paddingtons are great. They're the the talk on film Twitter does get ridiculous, but they're both wonderful, especially Paddington too, because there's just there's just so much wonderful stuff in there. I don't even want to ruin it for you. But it's just like a wonderful warm blanket of a movie and it earns all of its emotion. And um, yeah, Paddington's a sweet
2: little bear. <laughs> I both movies are really good, but I'm one of those edgy people that likes the first one more i watch watched both of them like back to back and I like the first one more personally, but they're both really good and they're, they're working on a a screenplay for the third one. So you might get the best trilogy of all time coming soon. I hope so. We
1: deserve a Paddington (laughs)
2: three.
0: This world deserves good things for once. Um, But yeah, I I think it in the process engaged. I don't want to say new discussion because I feel like this discussion comes around once a year. Um, where the internet also learns how Rotten Tomatoes works. So um, the big upset is, is people like, well, Paddington 2 is not perfect. Why does it have 100%? And the Snyder Cut only has like 42 or whatever. Um, <laughs> but so it, I, I think just to refresh, so Rotten Tomatoes, they basically just average reviews um, for other people. So basically they, they take all the reviews and they say this is either fresh or this is rotten um so if it's you know five and above it's fresh five or below five it's rotten and
2: then they actually go six they go six and above sorry
0: my bad six and above Uh, (laughs) but basically they divide it into fresh and rotten and then it's a percentage of critics that went fresh percentage that went rotten Um, but it almost always gets mistaken as oh well this is like 97 percent is the numerical score you would give this movie uh which is not correct um and so the, the internet um, kind of forgets that quite a bit. And I feel like this week is just another example of that. Uh,
2: yeah. You know, I think there's a lot to talk about here. Like it, it's kind of funny, but people are like, like crowning padding to two is the best movie of all time. now. <laughs> after this, just kind of an, in a, in kind of a fun way, but realistically looking at it, obviously um, I mean, they both had 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. They're not the only things with 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? There are tons of things that have 100%, and and Paddington two has like double the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes that Citizen Kane had. So it was already, uh, by Rotten Tomatoes terms, better um, or higher up on the on the scale. So I mean, I don't know what's new here other than it's now the, it's now one of another, uh, how many ever dozen hundred percenters there are out there just with the most reviews. I don't know, but. It's interesting. I'm not going to take away from the fun of the internet, uh, this week, because I think it was a lot of fun. The memes were great and we kind of needed that. I think it was really fun. Uh, but even around tomatoes, they show the egg, they show the scores, right? Like you got to dive into it, but they show the actual score out of 10 as well. So you got your percent of, of the aggregated positive reviews, six and above, right? So padding two is hundred percent, but it's got an 8.7 out of 10 which is pretty much the score the, the score of all of the uh, reviews um, when Citizen Kane is like a 9.7 out of 10. So I mean, Citizen Kane stands can uh, pull that number out there and, and, and show that to the Paddington 2 fans. But uh, it, it's fun. It's all fun in games.
1: Yeah, it's first of all, like the number on Rotten Tomatoes is meaningless. It's just an easy way to just look at and compile all these scores together and make some sense of it. But uh, I feel like one of the things that I've been frustrated with Rotten tomatoes a little bit is that I feel like they've they've moved that that score out of 10 kind of off the main screen right that used to be right next to the like the percent number but then you have to click on the other stuff so they've made it even more um, indecipherable just by looking at it but um, yeah people just want to look at that that 90 percent or whatever the number is and be like okay this is what this is what everyone thinks of this film it's one of the best movies ever made and obviously it doesn't matter but um, it's a really good marketing tool in terms of Rotten Tomatoes because as soon as a movie like their embargo list people go to Rotten Tomatoes and see what the reviews are and they look at that percentage but um, yeah I would encourage people to actually read the reviews <laughs> you know because yeah. I do think Rotten Tomatoes is uh, <laughs> like Rotten Tomatoes is really good at compiling so many reviews and they've gotten better in recent years in terms of just not having it be all white dudes, you know, (laughs) because I feel like Brie Larson was at the head of that a few years ago and they've done a better job since, but they still need to get better at it. But um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of good criticism you can find on it and just boiling it down to that number is um, it's problematic from the start, but it's just like, it's also just, it's silly. It's superficial,
2: you know? Yeah. You also have the fan score, the audience (laughs) score, they call it on there. Right. Which is, Everyone loves to compare those, the tomato meter from the critics and then the audience score. And, you know, the audience score was also something that even as recent as maybe two years ago, uh, we saw fans just kind of review bomb things like before, before they saw it. So um, Rotten Tomatoes has also tried to implement ways that they can prevent that um, by, I think I, I like, I don't, I don't do audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm not one of those people. So, but, but I think that you have to show a ticket now. I think there's something like that, where you yeah. have to prove that you've seen the movie or something like that. So they haven't Im- implemented things because I remember what was it, Captain Marvel? It was about to come out, and like no one had even seen it besides the first wave of critics, and it had like a thirty percent or something like that from audience. So like it's it like th- this sort of thing. It, it's something that I'm happy they've combated it. Um, uh, but yeah, the audience scores always fun to look at as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then everyone uses it as like like batman a superman like 30 percent green splat and then it's like barely it's like a 60 some for like for the audiences and they're still like see film criticism stupid and then it's the hilarious part because they use that as the barometer for see critics are meaningless instead of actually actually like going in and reading the reviews which is it's an unbelievable cell phone if you ask me <laughs> even though people use that as like a see like film criticism is stupid but um yeah, just amazing that these people who spend their entire lives watching movies mean absolutely nothing to you because the green splat
0: doesn't align with the audience. It's just unbelievable. Who would have thought? Well, and even as recently as when the Snyder Cut came out, um, there were there was a movement that was actually like pretty big that was review bombing all of the Warner Brothers movies um, to try and belittle Warner Brothers into restoring the Snyderverse. So, yeah. <laughs> It's been weaponized as recently as, you know, not even a full two months ago um, when that happened. Um, and, and this is probably going to be a, a pretty hot take, but I think the Rotten Tomatoes score, even though it's it's not an accurate representation of like, what would you give this movie on a score of 100? I think it's normally pretty ballpark what I would end up giving the movie if I were going to score it that way. So if I say something that's like 80% positive on Rotten Tomatoes, normally after I watch it, I'm like, yeah, that was a solid, like C plus or a B somewhere within that range. So I feel like even though that's not his intention, it's normally pretty spot on.
2: Hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I feel maybe a bit more cynical, but, uh, I always find that I line up pretty well with, uh, I mean, you try not to, but sometimes like you just afterwards you look at, cause I remember I watch a movie. I kind of determine how I feel about it. And I I put my rating on a letterbox. I'm like, let's go see how other people felt. And I find my, uh, my things always decently line up with the, the Metascore. Um, not full, like not all the time, obviously, but I find that to be pretty good as well. Um, it's always kind of random. Um, but yeah, also one thing to note about Rotten Tomatoes and about what Nick said there, just reading the reviews. To, for me as someone who just loves movies, we're in this space together, right? i love reading those little little things like not the whole review but i love seeing the little like couple line quips uh that they put from each critic i think it's a lot of fun Uh, some of them are hilarious some of them are pretty nasty um for me it's always like a good time after i see a movie determining what i feel about it checking rotten tomatoes and reading those for good enjoyment because it's always always pretty fun yeah some of them are nonsensical (laughs) it's like
1: all right you need to do a better job rotten tomatoes i still remember for The Snyder Cut, where someone—I guess there's a big DC undercurrent to all of this, which I I assume we'll get to in a moment. But there was one critic who said it has the uh, like it 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 like works on levels of a foreign film and works of like Malick, and it's like it's like what is happening here? Because first of all, you're assuming that just because something is foreign makes it something totally different, which is hilarious. And then comparing anything Zack Snyder touches to Malik is also just one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Um, so maybe they still have a lot of work to do there, but I don't know. Like, I don't even look at it as like a measure of anything. I, th- I think it's a fun gauge for people who are trying to figure out what to spend their money on in theaters or on streaming or whatever else it may be. But as for me, when something, I'm very interested in when something has like a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. Those are the most like fascinating movies to me. Because I feel like typically the really high scores align with something that's, it's a mainstream general like, you know, so you, if you have something that falls outside of that, it's probably a little odd or probably tough to pin down by just regular audiences, but um, I like to check those out. One of my favorite is The Beach Bum. (laughs) <laughs> which one of my favorite movies of 2018. I think it's sitting at like mid-50s on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's just a pure, perfect movie. And that score, I think, represents all the great things about that. So um I just hope people just reach look at these things with more nuance, but I guess that's tough to say, considering all the ridiculous petitions that are out there. So <laughs> so I don't know.
0: Yeah, uh, Rotten Tomatoes, quite a thing.
1: <laughs> I still remember... What was the thing that's, I guess it was, there was the suicide squad petition, right? Which was the big one (laughs) because it was right after Batman Superman tanked. And then that was in March and then suicide squad came out in August and then also got bad reviews. So there was like some change.org petition (laughs) with, it had a bunch of typos in it where it was like, there's a disconnect between fans and critics or something. And then critics don't mean anything, but each sentence made no sense. And it was hilarious. Um, like that's just there's something weird there with DC and, and the fight against critics and review bombing stuff and there's a lot of misogyny in it too it's uh it's weird I don't know if we've quite gotten to the the bottom of like how to fix it and but I hope Rotten Tomatoes continues to work on that because people do use it I think as their main form of criticism whether they use it well or not so I think you like working on what leads to these ultimate percentage scores, I think does matter a lot, even if I don't think it matters personally. I think it matters for a lot of people out there. So, um, I don't know. It was really funny. I really love Paddington too. And I guess Citizen Kane is the worst movie now because it's not hundred <laughs> percent, but, uh, this was all just really weird. And it, yeah, I think you're right. This always comes up like every couple of years or so, where it's just, we, we talk, we, lit, we, we, re, re, re litigate Ron tomatoes. Uh, and it's, Nauseating, hilarious. Um, I feel like this time it was pretty like it was pretty like there's some good like spirits behind it. It wasn't too nasty. Anything, anything with past. Paddington is is is
2: much more lighthearted. It's yeah, not like a, Exactly, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. it's good. <laughs> yeah. As soon as I heard the news, I went home and snapped my Citizen Kane Blu-ray in half. <laughs> so we don't work this <laughs> in my house anymore. I'm really looking
1: forward to when you in a couple of years when you start all these college students take their film criticism 101 class or their intro to film studies and instead of citizen kane we start with the history of cinema patting nothing <laughs> perfect uh
0: but yeah it's it's been interesting like it's been fun i think a lot of good discussions have been opened out of it um but we do have this conversation every couple of years so at some point some other movie will take the top spot or some other movie will have a huge disconnect between critics and fans when the Snyder cut two comes out. Uh, so we'll be back here at some point. If that day ever happens, I'm quitting this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Warner brothers did have a, another movie to uh, actually quite literally did uh, out hype the Snyder cut um, and outperformed it by quite a bit as far as streaming on HBO Max goes, and that is Mortal Kombat, which is the second live action franchise if you're counting like theatrical releases. There's was like a handful of animated stuff and sequels in there, uh, but this is basically the second take um, that we've had of the live action Mortal Kombat, this time with uh, significantly better effects. Um, but I, I don't know if I can call this a good movie in any sense of the word. Like it was fun watching people kill each other, uh, but there's just so much boring that I I don't stand Mortal Kombat.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I think this movie is just bad personally. I really did not like this movie. Um it's I mean, it's harmless as a thing, you know. There's a few good kills in there. I feel like for like for Mortal Kombat fans, the the bar that they set for themselves, if it's just seeing people die in gross fashion, then <laughs> you'll get some of that, right? People get dismembered and Horribly bloody ways, and I guess that's fine for what it is. But um, this movie just kind of struck me as the ultimate: we're going to give this director who's never directed anything before this property, so we, as the studio, can control it and note note it to death and make it like this very clear corporate product that we can try to sell to everybody. Um, that's just how it feels like to me because this movie's like right under two hours all the establishing stuff in the first hour is cut to bits where there's no really establishing shots or anything like that and there's really weird editing choices which clearly are meant to just just shrink all these scenes up you know so you just get to all the fighting later so it's just it's almost nonsensical if you're really looking at it um from that point of view it's really frustrating but uh yeah other than that it's just this is kind of just a whatever movie <laughs> i feel like this is the best i mean it did well at box office and i'm sure we'll get to that in a second but i feel like this benefits greatly from being on hbo max because i feel like people were like oh yeah it's world combat i'm aware of that being a thing that exists in on planet earth and
2: i'll take a shot and try it but um yeah not for me yeah so i mean just jumping into that box office as you mentioned uh so i haven't seen it so i'll just kind of not talk about my thoughts on the movie but um yeah, I mean 23 million last weekend which topped the box office. It kept Warner Bros Street going, right? They they keep winning the box office, Kong then this. But this weekend I do want to give a quick shout out to Demon Slayer, the Japanese anime movie which beat Mortal Kombat at the box office this weekend. Um barely by about 200 grand, but they they beat them this weekend. They were right behind them last weekend and they only played in half the theaters. Big note on this movie, it's now the highest grossing um r-rated animated movie ever uh it's like the highest grossing movie in japan like ever it's just kind of roaring i think it came out in october in japan and now it's already up to 35 million dollars in north america at demon slayer so that's a little bit of a kind of off topic there but do want to give a shout out to that movie but yeah i mean mortal Kombat. it's turned 67 million dollars on a budget of 55 plus the HO max you said it's doing good colin i think you said it outpaced snyder cut by quite a bit um I mean, it's it's. I don't know if it's going to get a sequel, but I think it 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 was it's it's successful enough that the conversation is going to be there.
1: That's the other thing too, where literally the last ten minutes of this movie is just setting up everything for this franchise to come, and it's just it's literally every choice that we've seen go wrong by studios to say, "Hey, let's make a franchise." They try to do in this movie, where it's you have your bland protagonist who's just there to. Set up the world around them, and then we have other like promises of interesting characters to come in future movies, and we're gonna just set those up, and then uh, yeah, then the movie's over. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I just, it's just not. There wasn't a lot to grab onto here. I guess, like Colin mentioned, the effects are pretty good. I think for what they are, um, but it's just like I don't really know what you're supposed to do with this movie. It's just, it just exists. This movie
0: is horribly abysmally p- paced. Um like yeah. I was so confused by the fact that the movie ended how it did because it feels very much like they're getting into um kind of a a setup for um like they're, they're getting into almost like you're, hey, we're going to beat all these underlings and then go fight the big bad guy kind of setup. And so you think that's what they're going and they all split up and they're taking on their individual people and you're like, all right, the smackdown with Shang Tsung is going to come. um And then they're like, nope, we're saving that for another movie. And the movie just kind of ends and Scorpion has like a little one-liner to his grandchild or great, I don't know, his his distant relation. And, and then Something, it's kind of
1: <laughs> <somebody>. <laughs> And it's
0: like, yeah,
1: it's, it's just two hours of setup. It's it's total nonsense. And until, it's literally, I mean, the originals fit this way too, where it's it's, it's just an excuse for fights to happen, but it's just so boring. Where I feel bad for the, the main actor, Louis Tan, who I've seen, he's been in a few things before, but he's just given nothing to do here. He's just supposed to be muscular dude who fights. You know, I don't even understand his powers, which is just like he gets hit more and then he's <laughs> able to have like, powers himself i know it's very bizarre but godzilla um, type you know
2: yeah radiation
1: yeah it's just it's there's like an hour long it feels like an hour long of like training montages just for people to like figure out what their powers are and um yeah it's just it's just all over the place it really does feel like it was noted to death for so many ways where they're like we have to get this in here we have to mention all of this lore and this crazy um like cgi conversation that happens for like three seconds, but we just need to get all these buzzwords in to please the fans. Um, yeah, there's, it's just, I don't know. It, stuff like this, IP like this, where I don't really have a strong connection to any of the games. I just, I don't know what to do with it when I watch something like this. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just kind of sit there, let it wash over me. <laughs>
0: what really irritated me was like the convenience of magic um, in the movie because they set up a lot of these characters to be like be able to have their original powers so like Jax you know gets his arms ripped off gets robot arms Kano has a laser eye Um, and they like set up all the technology to give Kano an actual mechanical laser eye and they're like no it's magic and then even Jax they give him like robot arms but they suck and then magic and they're good Like everybody has the same source of magic. Like Kung Lao, the guy with the razor hat, is like, no, it's magic. And that's why I can do this with my hat. (laughs) So they like, they try to simplify a lot of these things and it just becomes really dumb. (laughs) Um, But I think, like, the most disappointing part for me, and and I think this was a pretty universal take, was with Scorpion. Um, Because he is, like, I mean, he's the most iconic Mortal Kombat character. The creator behind mortal Kombat, and boon is like yeah this is the character i care about um like you can't make a mortal combat movie without scorpion and the opening what probably like 10 minutes almost is just that entire scorpion scene um and you're like okay maybe you know scorpion's gonna like come back team up with this you know baby or his ancestor whatever and then they kind of just pocket scorpion until the last 10 minutes and then he shows up has a couple cool lines does all his iconic get over here kind of stuff and then is like winks and disappears and that's the end of the movie um and so they just like they tease you with scorpion and almost promise you more and then you have an hour and 45 minutes without him um and then he shows up at the end because you kind of have to have him.
1: yeah so i guess you have way more knowledge of things mortal combat than me colin but it seems like so the the lead character by Louis Tan. It's supposed to be his power is family, right? He's more he's Vin, like Vin Diesel, Diesel of Mortal Combat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where he can summon his ancestral line to help fight him, right? And that's what we're supposed to deal work with with the last scene. But it's kind of bizarre because he's such a thinly written character. So when Scorpion does come back at the end, there he he literally it kind of he just overtakes. Uh, Louis Tan's arc as a character, where right this whole time he's this like he's this drunken boxer who just gets the like the shit beat out of him in the ring, and I guess that's where his power comes through, where he just gets beaten on. Then he says, "Oh, I have more power because of my weird metal suit that grew out of me uh, because magic," Uh, and then he can fight. So you're waiting, okay? You're waiting for him to at the end to fight. um, What's the dude's name? Sub Zero. That his name? Yeah. you're like okay like he's finally gonna be powerful enough and this is gonna be his his arc as a character and then scorpion just comes in and does the job for him and he's literally just a bystander just watching this cool fight and doing nothing the entire time (laughs) so it's on uh, a character level it makes no sense and then it also is unbelievably cheap as you mentioned before just kind of an action and plot device so i'm sure Listen, there's many more fans of Mortal Kombat out there. I'm sure it works well for what they do in the video games, but rendered here, it was just kind of nonsense. <laughs> yeah,
0: and I feel like it's unfortunate because they set up a pretty solid, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, like, a, but it's a pretty solid revenge arc for Scorpion in the beginning. It's like you could cut Cole out and then just throw Scorpion in its place and you'd have that nice, like, oh, I need to kill Sub-Zero because he literally froze my family to death. Um, And instead you have like, oh, well, Sub-Zero's out trying to kill all the champions because evil, Um, instead of having like this real personal connection between Scorpion and Sub-Zero, which is already there, like for anybody that's familiar with the series, but the, the movie is like the one emotional thing I think it establishes really well. Um, so I just it baffles me that they were like let's take our most popular character and focus the movie around him and instead they're like what we really need is a character no one's ever played as before with really vague powers that can summon a stick
1: (laughs) yeah he's literally it's he's the the thing that they do wrong in all these movies where it's okay we need a we need an audience cipher that can Just walk around and be like oh what does this do what is this can you explain this to me so the audience can understand and then people can give that character just a bunch of mumbo jumbo to explain what's going on and then he's just not a character for himself like he just I guess he cares about his daughter and wife or whoever they were maybe sister I don't really (laughs) remember who those characters were because they don't really spend much time with them and I really do think they try to do something, they try to do a little bit with that Scorpion connection to him through the ancestral line. and But it seems like they're just like quick cuts of, oh, he envisions Scorpion in hell or wherever the hell he goes, right? <laughs> um, it feels like there was probably more there in the cutting room floor, but then it goes back to what I was saying earlier, where the studio was like, eh, hey, we need to get this under two hours. Can you get rid of all this extra junk? But meanwhile, that extra junk probably mattered to make the plot make sense you know but it just seems this movie just seems like it was just noted to death and they used this director so they could do that like it's kind of it's bizarre where this is literally this guy's first his name is sam mccoy and he was just doing he was doing a lot of commercial work before but this is his first feature it just seems like they brought him on i'm mean, out i don't to. who knows exactly what happened but it really does seem like they brought him on just to like move him around and be able to kind of not bully him but be able to Get in all their notes and whatnot to build out this franchise, but it's just it sucks. It's just it's one of those where they tried to build the franchise before building the first movie kind of thing. Um, I don't know. Kano was fun at the very least. <laughs> fun Australian dude. <laughs> That's really about it.
0: That's all that made an impact. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's not a movie I've thought about a lot since it ended. I'll, I'll just put that out there. This <laughs> this has not been a big head scratcher. <laughs> um but there is a much better movie that came out recently um which is the mitchell's versus the machines uh which is the latest lord miller sony animation flick uh which was scooped up by netflix um it was originally set for a theatrical release but coronavirus kind of got in the way of that um and then netflix ended up picking it up um i'm wondering if this was you know almost like a precursor to the deal that you know just came out a couple weeks ago Uh, maybe those two companies testing the waters, but it's a pretty big haul for Netflix. I mean, this is the, the creative team behind the Lego movie uh, behind cloudy with a chance of meatballs between behind Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. So it's a pretty surefire success um, in terms of, you know, are people going to want to see this? Um, And it's a pretty good movie. I didn't love it as much as I think uh, someone else in the chat did, but (laughs) it's me. I really (laughs) like
1: this movie. It's me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um i fucking love this movie this is so, so great to me um yeah lord and miller strike again they're probably two of the most important people working in animation right now and i know this movie's directed by michael rianda and i don't want to put give too much credit to lord and miller because it seems like this was his brainchild brainchild along the way but um just Sony Pictures Animation is just smart for just latching on to Lord and Miller. They're so damn creative and they just really they're, they do an amazing job of looking out for interesting stories to tell, even when they're not directing these movies. Um, this is just a wild movie. I'm so happy it exists and it's so weird. It is so bizarre that this is made, but I'm um, sure we'll get into particulars later, including a, a big giant Furby that talks in hellish tongues right (laughs) but um this movie is uh it's it's lovely i don't really know how else to say about it except freaking out about all the little weird easter eggs in it (laughs) but it's 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 wonderful
0: yeah it's just really charming um and i mean that's kind of lord and miller's thing is to just put out these really pleasant like really fun movies um i think this film from an animation standpoint feels a lot like spider-man into the spider verse but they do enough to differentiate it so that even if so a lot of the character shapes and like that kind of design is still there they really separate it with a lot of focus on 2d animation mixed in and even some live action stuff um, that i think help keeps it really new feeling visually which i like it's always nice to see animation you know be used to <laughs> present things in a weird new way um and then yeah it's a it's a really charming story i just found it a lot more straightforward than i think some of their other movies have been you know in particular spider-verse and and the lego movies i felt like it was a pretty predictable um, story between the family i mean you kind of knew where it was going the whole time um, but yeah it's there's not really anything to dislike here
1: yeah so i guess we should actually talk about the plot a little bit as well where um so basically we have this lead but she's going off to film school. She's a big film nerd. So I'm sure this is in me a big uh, love for film Twitter. And there's, um, she's really, she, lo- she loves making movies on, on her phone and uploading them to YouTube. And they're w- super insane and wildly creative. Um, but she's going off to film school and she is, she has kind of a strained relationship with her father where they were really close when she was young and they had so many cute in jokes together, but they've just kind of, grown apart where she's grown up and he's trying to hold on to the past but um and then there there's a an ai apocalypse (laughs) that runs into the middle of this right where it's big tech um i think what is it pal is the name of the tech company Uh, and it's voiced the lead guy is voiced by eric andre and he's an amazing uh riff off of a silicon valley bro uh he's just tremendous in this but yeah there's this AI apocalypse that happened. So now this family who was on this road trip to send um, out, um the daughter character to to film school, they have to just try to save the world now. And I I took a lot away from the father-daughter relationship here, where it's connected also, it's not the most nuanced thing in the world because it's it's all there, right? It's all this, it's this connection between how we all interact with each other and also how we we've never been more connected with our phones, but also how we're never we've never been further apart, right? Um, but I think it's just so it's so well rendered here in terms of the particulars of it, because all literally all the characters in this family are really nice and they want the best for everyone else in the family. This is not like some thing where the father's evil or the daughter is awful or the mom is not. In the picture at all, they just they're just operating on different wavelengths. And this entire movie is really more about learning to understand where everyone else is coming from, and really listen. And the power of listening, and the power of not not even just trying to do better because everyone is literally trying their hardest. But it's a lot about learning, understanding what makes people them, and learning to appreciate what they what they like, even if you have no basis of understanding for it, right? it's, I think it's really sweet and thoughtful, even if, yeah, the plot itself is very much, we need to destroy the evil thing before they take over the world, you know? That part isn't fun, but there's just so many great particulars in it and so many wonderful sight gags throughout all of this, where um, if you look at the beginning, there's all the movies that the lead character's making. Well, she has a a movie called Dial B for Burger, which is hilarious. Um, There's a riff on Portrait of a Lady on Fire in there. Um, there's so many others that I'm sure if you freeze-framed on like all of her DVDs and stuff, I'm sure there'd be so many amazing title gags there. But it really gets to the core of how all I feel like all of us just need to understand where everyone else is coming from. And I think it's an inherently sweet movie about people just trying to make sense of their family and how there really isn't a normal, you know, because these people are bizarre. They try to paint this family as this bizarre, insane group, but they're just trying to be themselves. And that's really all that matters. So um, I loved it. I thought there was so much great stuff in here and it's just hilarious. I thought I was laughing throughout this thing.
0: Yeah, this movie is really, really funny, Um, which I really liked. Uh, Big Lord and Miller guy. Um, So I yeah, I'm happy to see it. I enjoyed it um how do you feel about the title because this movie was originally called connected and now it is obviously called the mitchells versus the machines uh i don't know i can't put my finger on it i just don't like the title change
1: yeah i think connected makes way more sense except especially for the themes of the movie but i think mitchells versus the machines is an easier marketing thing you know because you see that and you just you automatically think of like a family fighting robots and that's kind of that's what the movie is on the surface right yeah so um but that in a sense i would have liked connected i think that makes way more sense but i don't know there's a giant furby in this movie what what else do you need it's the greatest thing ever
0: (laughs) giant furby i'm pretty sure there was a joker poster hanging up in one of the kids dorms uh, when she goes to film school so it's just kind of the perfect movie
1: yeah i think one of the one of the biggest mistakes that has been made in like blockbuster film the past few years is Disney not having the faith in Lord Miller to, to finish out their solo movie. <laughs> I would, I think that's one of the dumbest things that can happen. Cause you've seen where in all of their other projects where they are just absurdly creative and they find so many interesting ways to do really thoughtful themes. Like all these movies are bad shit insane. Like this movie itself is like, it's edited with, like a TikTok, YouTube sense to it. There's like a bunch of like, it's it mixes with like the drawings and things like that, as you mentioned before. And it literally takes like YouTube videos and splices them with uh, characters in the in, in there. And um, it's really imaginative and bizarre. And they just have a really good eye for really weird and thoughtful things uh, that you can make in a movie and especially with animation. So I'm waiting for their next live action movie at some point. You know, I would love to see that. What was the last one they made? Probably 22 Jump Street, right? Yeah. Um and I feel like they just they've been working in animation since and I I just wish they'd be able to go off and do weird things again. I just think they're they're supremely talented and weird and I love that <laughs> and we need more of that in big movies. So good job on Sony to like hitch their wagon to them even though they still make stuff like Peter Rabbit peter rabbit 2 forthcoming
0: (laughs) (laughs) they're also making a a series for apple tv plus Uh, it's a murder mystery each episode is like the perspective of a different character so they're doing some live action work with that crazy apple budget
1: yeah that's good it's just between this and spider-verse it's just i think Sony Animation has so much; they're so indebted to these guys in terms of how into the projects they find and who they can attach to make these movies. Where those are two of the most, I think this and Spider Verse are two of the most innovative animated movies to come out the past few years. I I just think they're so bizarre and there's nothing like them. I mean, we can quibble a little bit about whether or not these are amazing movies or not, but I've never seen a movie like this. You know, Uh, I just think there's something really awesome that that they're able to make these projects work and get the massive budgets for them.
0: Yeah. And they're kind of part of the original team um, behind the, the Sony animation films. Cause I mean, they did cloudy with a chance of balls in 2009 um, right after George Miller won the Oscar for best animated feature for surf's up. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, so they've, you know, kind of helped pioneer, Sony and helped it kind of figure out what it is. And right now, it's either Hotel Transylvania movies or it's Lord and Miller. So, not a not a bad mix.
1: I like the Hotel Transylvania movies. I think they're fun. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, they're um, but just like they still have junk. Like it's really pandering. Like the Peter Rabbit movie, which is just get that out of my face. But um, yeah, I just. These guys are really smart. I think they're going to continue to make really interesting things, whether they're actually directing, writing, or if they're just producing. I think they're just really good forces for Hollywood. So, and they, keep th- they keep things weird. That's all I ask for on this podcast, just make things weird.
0: Yeah, so that is the Mitchells versus the Machines. Um, and then rounding out the podcast, we've got a return to the Movie Bubble Club. Uh, so this week we did Bullet, which is a 1968 Steve Queen movie. Um, So this was one that I picked it's been on my shelf for a couple months and I was like you know what I need to get around to this Um, I've always heard everything about this car chase uh, which is I'm I'm sure we'll dive into it a little bit more in a minute that's kind of what this movie is known for Um, and then also Steve McQueen uh, but he plays a cop uh, aptly named Bullet with two L's and two T's just so you know he's cool Um, (laughs) and basically this movie he is protecting a witness who's going to flip um, who's already been targeted for assassination, um, and so this is basically his escapade as he tries to see out that duty um, while being kind of the the rogue off off the usual beaten trail kind of cop uh, that was really famous in that time period. Um, so first off, let's just talk about Steve McQueen because I've seen I've seen a handful of his movies and he looks the exact same in all of them. So we are talking about this before we got on, but The Blob came out in 1958, which was 10 years before this movie. And if you put a still from those movies side by side, I could not tell you which one was the 28-year-old Steve McQueen. Like, they're the exact same picture.
1: Yeah, he is. Uh, he's got that, like, that sandy hair mm-hmm. that kind of looks like it's graying, but also not. It's very confusing to me. But, you know, when he first comes on screen and you see he has, like, his wife, she looks 50 years younger than him. I don't know. He looks like he's perpetually 60, even though he like died when he was what, 50. Right. But it's just, it's bizarre. He's definitely one of a kind in that sense. he's a great actor. I don't mean to like disparage him or anything like that. It's just, it's really, it's just really interesting. He's just such an interesting force on screen. You, want, you really haven't seen anything like him since.
2: Yeah, no, he, uh, he's, he's, he's my dad's favorite actors. This is one that this week I said, dad want to watch bullet. It's like, oh yeah, great movie. Uh, so that, that was good. Good bit of bonding there. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, it, I think we spoke about this as well before we got on, me and Nick here, was that uh, we thought it'd be a little bit more macho than it was. You know, it's definitely a very, I wouldn't necessarily uh, go as far as to say this is a subdued movie, but it certainly has those noir tendencies, right? It's a little bit quiet um, here and there, but, but that uh, it all kind of leads up to a very, it's not our ending of the film but it all leads to what in my opinion is a, is a great chase scene that's kind of your price of admission
1: yeah
2: yeah it's uh that car chase scene is really good
1: it's really good let's just dive into it <laughs> cuz that's that's the reason that this movie is in the national registry because of that car scene it's like one of the most famous car scenes ever made but it's really terrific there's no score used throughout all of that and i was reading a lot about this movie before after i watched it but they were, they, they used brand new cameras for the scene because like up to that point, cameras were just way too heavy to even do stuff like this. And they have a lot of it like on the front of, like on the hoods of cars and stuff like that. So you get a really good view of the action, but yeah, they were literally just making up techniques as they were going along as they filmed this. And it's so exciting, great sound design too, where the engines are just revving like crazy. I don't feel like cars make those sounds anymore and they just sound really cool, you know? Um, but there's just no score. It just tires screeching, really high speed chase. I couldn't tell if any of like the footage was sped up or not throughout this, but it was just, it's just cool. It's really, really exciting.
0: Yeah. And I like how still the frames are. Like there's not a lot of like quick cutting or anything to really kind of edit excitement into what's going on. Like it's literally just a lot of tracking shots as they're following these cars. And then um, like, they really don't care if the cars get beat up (laughs) by the time the chasing is done. Like one is blown up, but even uh, bullets cars taking quite a bit of damage just from you know what actually happens when you drive down hills at you know sixty miles an hour and try to make sharp turns without slowing down and that kind of stuff. So it feels really authentic. Um, and yeah, like if, if it was, I gave the movie a star alone just for the chase scene.
2: Like, <laughs> anyway, if I'm not mistaken, it's San Francisco. Yeah, right? yeah, that's where this. Yeah, so I mean. San Francisco they're kind of known I mean they have kind of those up and down roadways a lot of California does right and I love how the camera worked with that like kind of kind of very uh, slopy roads and you have like the camera it's very still as you said and it goes up and then you kind of see it come down you know it's just it, it, it's just a cool little thing it kind of comes up flattens at the top goes down with the car. Uh, certainly puts you in the perspective even, and it's just uh, really good camera work throughout this movie. Even a lot, even early on in the movie, I found a lot of the cinematography was pretty good um, in terms of, I think there was one scene where he's, I think with this, his wife or girlfriend there in, uh, in a restaurant and just kind of the way um, the focus changes throughout the scene. There's just a lot in there that was kind of clever, uh, added to the movie for sure for me. I love
1: San Francisco as a city in movies. Cause there's just, I lived there for a little bit. It's just a really cool area. There's so much different stuff. Like you have those crazy hills, you have Lombard street, which is the really famous winding road. But yeah, you have all these crazy roads that are with really big hills. And it's cool when you have all these cars flying off of them and bumping off of the one part that's not going way downhill. But then you also have, you know, obviously you have the Golden Gate Bridge and you have the ocean and stuff like that. There's just so much room to play with here. Um, and also like, they peter yates the director of this movie they shot on location for all of this so he wanted to make this feel really real and i think there, there's a few uh lines i saw from Stephen Queen too where they were really focused on the realism of this movie and making it not like some thrilling thing which probably bled more into the cop genre with like dirty harry and all of those 70s movies and 80s and go from there but they were really focused on the procedure of all of this and making it seem reasonable that this would certainly a heightened case but that people were reacting reasonably in this and i think for the most part i think they work really well here
0: yeah yeah i completely agree with that um i, I definitely understand the height you know this is, this is one of those movies where i feel like i've heard about it for a long time um, but really didn't have a whole lot of exposure to it because i mean i i feel like steve mcqueen h- himself isn't as talked about when you're talking about a lot of like classic movie actors which is kind of odd considering that he was the highest grossing actor for quite a while um towards the end of his career but yeah it was it was a good watch i think this is this might be the favorite um that i've picked for our
2: Babel club rotation so far i'd agree yeah for me for for kind of based off what you've chosen for sure
1: yeah i think this movie's this movie's neat i think there's a lot of stuff i really liked in it um especially that realism sense and i there's a they also cast a bunch of real, like, and there's a lot of those, um, hospital scenes and whatnot, and they cast real doctors and nurses for those scenes because you'll notice in them that there's, it's a lot of, there's not like a lot of theatricality in the way they're talking. They're just a lot about what, like, oh, like scalpels, scissors, the reading, all of the, like the heart measurements and whatnot. It's very, I, excuse, excuse the pun, but it's very clinical, you know, it's very straight to the point um it very much how these people would talk and i think that's that's neat you know you don't when we see like cop movies like this being made now you you think of these super heavy stylized things with a bunch of twists and turns and things like that and there's certainly stuff like that in here right but i think it does there's a sense of naturalism to the performances and also just like the filmmaking itself where we kind of like you mentioned with the cinematography and there's also a sense of documentary style to it as well with all those locked off shots and whatnot so it's really cool i think there's a lot of really interesting stuff in it not a movie that i think will stick with me long because i think it's really about itself you know it's not there's no a lot of crazy things you can take from it and i feel like it even there's a chance that um, this movie could even go into a sequel i wonder if they were talking about that at the time the way it ends but um i think it's fun it's a really good like no like super lean uh like action thriller noir movie i thought it was really cool yeah i stand <laughs> um should we next podcast just say we stand yeah. or don't stand and the podcast is 30 seconds long
0: that's uh we'll just yeah, do a thumbs up or thumbs down um <laughs> uh, but yeah that is bullet and that is this week's episode of the movie Babel podcast um so we'll be back next week with mortal Kombat erased from our brains uh, i'm talking about more movies talking about uh more movie bubble club uh, so remember you can always check us out online at moviebattle.com